how's it going, guys? Welcome to our very first episode of Oil Food Basics Discover Podcast, where we learn something new about our amazing industry on every single episode. So I'm your host, Derek Craig, and with me today is the other half of Oil Food Basics, Sebastian Jaya. How's it going, Sebastian? It's going great. I'm super excited to launch this podcast. Super excited for this first one. And for those of you that haven't seen our podcast zero, our first podcast that takes you through what Oil Food Basics is and what our mission is, and please go check that out. Um, we're just trying to make learning about the oil field simple. So that's basically oil field basics. <laughs> yeah, and this podcast is going to help us to capture content and capture it quickly and do some really cool interviews. We've got something really cool lined up for you guys today. And just want to mention too, just to kind of uh, repeat what we said in episode zero, you know, this is a learning process for us as well in terms of podcasting. And so uh, stick with us. Uh, hopefully, you know, nothing, nothing but getting better. So yeah, for sure. Keep that in mind, and and again, check out that episode zero if you haven't seen it or haven't heard it yet, and that'll really catch you up to date on what all we're trying to do here and how this podcast is going to serve us and our industry going forward. So with that said, what are we going to be talking about today, Sebastian? Well, today we'll be talking about primarily the MWD, or the measurement while drilling process, um, tools associated with that, some technology, um, a little bit of LWD, which is logging while drilling, and finally, a little bit of directional drilling um, will also be mentioned, so... Very cool. Yeah, so we definitely set up to learn a lot here on this episode, and we know that you guys are excited to hear about this topic because we actually proposed three topics whenever we announced that we were going to start a podcast. We proposed three topics to our audience, and it was um, basically MWD, we had land evaluation and canine pipeline inspection. So right. basically, those are our first three episodes, and we let you guys pick which one you wanted to hear as the first one, and pretty overwhelmingly, we, we picked MWD, MWD so yeah. <laughs> we know you guys are very excited about this, and the other topics we're very much looking forward to recording as well, but we definitely... Uh, Got us all the topic here to talk about today, and we brought in David Gibson, who is actually the founder of Gibson Reports, which is basically an MWD and directional drilling market share report. And we're, of course, going to have him talk a little bit more about what that is. And so David actually has over 10 years of MWD experience, and he's worked onshore, offshore, uh, has worked for big and small companies all over the world, and he's done work with foreign countries as well. So very diverse background here. And we're very excited to bring him on. He's actually on the line now. How's it going, David? Doing great. How are you guys today? <laughs> Pretty well. good. Just trying to stay warm up here. We've got another cold snap That's here right. in Appalachia. <laughs> <laughs> so before we finally go on, on spring break, and hopefully things will turn around for us. But yeah, thanks for, thanks for taking your time out of your day to, to join us. We've had previous discussions with David, a lot, a lot of cool things here in the works, and hopefully some future partnerships with Oilfield Basics and David. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I am too. I think what you guys are doing is uh, great for the industry and um, for the general public as well as anybody who, who wants to be able to learn and understand a little bit more about this industry. Oh, thanks, man. Thank yeah, we've definitely seen some of the things that you've put out and you've got some a YouTube channel going and, and we've seen that, you know, you've been speaking in, in multiple different conferences and everything across <laughs> across the U.S. And so a lot of cool experiences looks like you've got to have too as well. Yeah, uh, you know, I love being able to get out there and talk about this subject. Probably one of the reasons why I'm on the podcast today. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the YouTube channel, the stuff that we're putting out there is just, you know, you know, putting out some of the basics, you know, some of the uh, the learning points and learning things that I've gone through. Um, and then, you know, being able to speak at the conferences is always fun to be able to, to get out there with your peers and, um, you know, kind of be, be real about the industry. At least that's 
I think why I get chosen to speak to speak sometimes. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. So before we go too much into the meat of the subject and everything, we just want to get a little bit more familiar with your background. So can you can you tell us a little bit about how you got into MWD and a little bit about like you know the places you've worked or experiences that you've had and just kind of fill us in uh, to twenty nineteen, <laughs> how you got interested in it. Yeah, I know. So we only have got like uh, we've got less than a day for this podcast. So I'll, I'll keep all the answers uh, pretty short since I know I can yeah. talk about this stuff at length. Um, especially any of my friends, they definitely know that they just get they're like, oh, here he goes. Um, <laughs> this is a trigger topic, I guess. huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so in actuality, one of the reasons, you know, like as far as reaching out to you guys, one of the reasons I love being able to talk about MWD and educate other people on it is because how I got into it was sheer luck, right? <laughs> sheer luck. Um, so here's, here's a quick story. So I, I was getting close to graduating. I started putting my resume out there on like career builder and monster jobs at the time, 2007. That was like the hot place to put your resume. LinkedIn really wasn't, you know, what it is today. And uh, I actually got an email from a recruiter for Schlumberger and in the subject line it says, do you want to make more than six figures in less than three years? And at that <laughs> point in time in my life, I had answered every single email, whether it was spam or not. Like I answered all of them. Like <laughs> mm -hmm. any uh, job opportunity, I was like, I'm, I'm going after it. Um, <laughs> And um, that was the only one I didn't respond to because I was like, oh, that's BS. <laughs> it wasn't a, it wasn't you know? a catchy enough title, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just so far-fetched for me. I was like, that'll never happen, right? Like, I was thinking, like, I would graduate, and I did mechanical engineering, so let me say that. I did mechanical engineering. I was thinking, like, I'll graduate, and, like, the most I'll ever make in life is, like, 80, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that was like, oh, if I ever make that, like, I've made it to the top of the heap. Um, <laughs> so anyways, like the guy calls me and he says, like, you know, do you like playing video games? And I was like, no, not really. And he was like, you're perfect for the job. And I was like, I don't know what this job is, but like, <laughs> okay. Um, so I, uh, you know, they take me through the interview process. I, I end up interviewing with Schlumberger. They, uh, they take us out to a, um, in the second round interviews, they take us out to a wireline location and, uh, a wireline and frack job. And uh, then after we get done, they take us back to the hotel where they're doing the interviews and they say, okay, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, wireline is definitely not it. That looked boring. <laughs> uh, so I was like, I think I would rather be involved in drilling. That sounds more action packed, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, little did I know that like wireline and MWD are like almost one and the same. Just one of them, you know, you're drilling during the process. The other one, you're just you know, connected to a wire during the process. So <laughs> yeah. They're very, very similar. And I didn't quite know the difference, but, um, so I put on my little list of things that like, they give you like a list of like, you know, what's the top five things you want to do or your top three. And I said, you know, uh, drilling and measurements, like drilling was number one. I can't remember what number two and number three were. And then they put on, then they give you a map that says like, where do you want to work? <laughs> and I had done my research beforehand and I was like, I knew that there were rigs in Australia, Brazil, and Africa. And so I put... Oh, wow. I didn't even think of the U.S., huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they gave you was a map of the U.S. And it was like, you know, Midland and you <laughs> know, uh, some place in New Mexico and then some place up in Pennsylvania. And I was like, I don't want to be in any of those spots. Like, I want to go <laughs> international. Yeah. 
And so it was like one of those things that like, I was like, all right, spin a globe in my head and boom, my finger lands on Australia. Okay, that's number one. Number two, <laughs> Brazil. Number three, somewhere in Africa. And lo and behold, when they hired me, they said, sure, here's your job offer. You're going to go to uh, Perth, Australia. And I <laughs> was awesome. just like, I remember telling my mom and I'm like, is this a dream or is this, is this real? Like, <laughs> I'm about to me, move yeah. to yeah. Australia. I mean, of course sure. I was elated. So. And how old so, were you at this point? Uh, I was 24 because it took me an extra couple of years to finish college. It took me a little longer than, than most to finish. Um, yeah, well, that's awesome. But at, my, at 24, being able to do international work, even starting off, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I should also say this. I paid my own way through, so no zero college debt when I finished. So, so anyways, awesome. yeah, I got, even better. <laughs> I got picked up. Yeah, I got picked up by Schlumberger, um, moved to Australia, started their um, what I like to call their master's program for for oil field knowledge. Um, I I knew zero, absolutely zero about the oil and gas business. I didn't know who Schlumberger was before they hired me. <laughs> I didn't know who Halliburton was. I didn't know who Weatherford, Baker Hughes, I knew none of these companies, mm-hmm. right? I, even though I grew up in Texas, like I, I knew nothing about the oil and gas business. Um, and then, and then you know, Schlumberger, as much as I, um, you know, dislike the culture, I guess, um, they do a really good job as far as educating their personnel. And I mean, they just cram it down your throat as hard as they can. And if you survive, then you get to keep your job. If you don't, you get let go. Um, and, that's, <laughs> and, this, and that's just r- really how it is. Um, yeah, and, and this so, was all offshore like work, right? It was was this onshore or offshore? My, so in Australia, they had there was there is land work. Um, so one of the first, my first job that I ever went to was actually on a Class A nature reserve in Australia. It's called uh, Barrow Island. It's like where like. I don't know, there's like probably a dozen or more species that only exist there in the world. Oh, wow. Um, that I got to go work. Yeah, there's like the speckled hair wallaby. Um, <laughs> you know, um, bandicoots and like lizards and different kinds of kangaroos that only exist there. And it's one of those cool things that like, even if you're Australian and you want to go there, you can't. But I got lucky enough that like, I'm from the US and I got to go to this like, you know, like Galapagos Islands kind of thing uh, mm-hmm. for Australia. And <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, there's there's some really interesting stories about being there. You know, you couldn't like everything had to be brand new. You couldn't have seeds, flora, fauna, nothing. Like everything had to be picture perfect, clean before you got out there, so it didn't ruin the environment. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. But anyways, yeah. yeah. So I I started with Schlumberger. I was there through out. Uh, 0709 and then the world downturn kind of hit they got rid of all their international employees because they costed the most i happen to be one of them um i took about a year off from the oil and gas business i spent six months in guatemala learning spanish just doing one of those bucket list things finally uh came back to u.s land um tried to start my own business in the oil and gas business figured out i didn't have any business starting my own business because i didn't know anything about <laughs> about business um so at that point in time i uh i i started applying to jobs 
anywhere and everywhere I could. I made it my job to actually apply for jobs. I would get up at 8 a.m. I'd be fully dressed and would get on my computer for eight hours and do nothing but hit up resumes and, and stuff. And then I got to the point where I found the end of the internet um, as far as <laughs> applying for jobs. And then I was like, okay, well, what am I gonna do now? So I just started picking up the phone and I started cold calling businesses. If they had a phone number, if they had a contact email, I just started calling them, sending them my resume. And um, I happened to get somebody on the phone one time at a company called Boreview. Uh, they had a, a small MWD service. There was two owners. They had like three employees and they gave me a shot and that's where I got into, you know, U.S. land work. Um, awesome. Completely... I think that's something, I think that's something definitely very valuable for, you know, for somebody who's looking to get into the industry and, you know, pick up the phone. I mean, there's only so much that you can do online, but, you know, get that verbal connection going on and, and network when you, that seemed to propel you, right? It, exactly. There's, you know, I could do a whole seminar on how to get a job, not just in the oil and gas business, but just like how to get a job in general, you know, with, with today's um, ability to be able to communicate with others, you know, via LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, whatever the case may be, going to attending events. Like I, I, I always, people ask me and they'll be like, hey, what's the best way to get a job in the business? I was like, don't go to a job fair. Like don't, you're not talking to people who are doing the hiring. You talk to people who are doing the filtering. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, so, you know, uh, started working with a local uh, U.S. land-based uh, MWD company. We were MWD only. Uh, we also had a couple of resistivity tools. So that was kind of our niche to the market was to provide third-party resistivity. And um, from there, I jumped around to a couple of other different directional companies, went and worked at Children's Directional Drilling, Premier Directional Drilling. Uh, then I worked at New Tech MWD Services as their chief technology officer, looking over stuff here in the U.S., helped them with the startup of SunDrill Directional, and uh, also looked over some of their work in uh, Russia with, uh, there's a company, oh, wow. uh, MWD Directional company in Russia called New Tech. And so they sent me over there to help consult and look at things and, you know, anytime they had problems or they needed something, it was, that, was, that was my job role. Um, so, uh, then I moved over to a company called Lodestar International, where our main focus when I first got on there was to sell uh, high quality MW or high quality American-made goods to the Chinese. Uh, so we were selling uh, MWD uh, components, MWD LWD things to the international marketplace, uh, and so that was a lot of fun. And then I finally got to the point where I was like, "All right, it's time to kind of go off on my own," and I started Gibson Reports. Uh, and the whole focus was to know your industry and be able to uh, show people, you know, what's taking place in the industry. You know, who's, what operators uh, have what directional companies working for them, what directional companies are working for what operators, where they're doing the work, how they're doing the work, look at offset wells, stuff like that. So uh, that's a hopefully a quick background on who I am and uh, <laughs> what I've been doing. Yeah, for sure. What was, just out of curiosity, uh, you went to college, what was your major in college? Do you have to major in something, maybe somebody thinks you have to do petroleum engineering, right, to get into MWD? What would your answer be on that? <laughs> so, so for me specifically, I studied mechanical engineering. Um, I think that uh, being an engineer is helpful uh, in having that analytical mindset. Not to say that, you know, if you did... Um, 
you know, kinesiology or liberal arts or something like that, that you couldn't do it. But it, it, it really, it comes down to uh, having the ability to learn, um, gotcha. knowing your ability to learn, um, and then the willingness to work hard. If you have those three things, you can get anywhere into the oil and gas business or specifically uh, be, be an MWD field hand. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And, and they don't even, not every job would even require a college degree, right? You can even do this with a, with a high school degree, correct? Oh yeah, most definitely. I've trained guys that were who didn't even graduate high school, uh, who went out and ended up making probably somewhere close to one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year uh, wow. prior to the <laughs> downturn. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. It's not. That's not impossible. Yeah. So we'll get we'll get a little bit more into specifically like how you would actually get into this this job and this role and career opportunities and, and how you would advance a little bit later in the podcast. Um, I just want to hit on one more thing about uh, Gibson Reports and then uh, begin moving into actually the you know mw topics yeah. and getting more familiar with that so on, on your gibson reports company that you started i was browsing your site and i know you know you are offering some things that are for free uh, free reports and whatnot can you briefly just say what those are in case anybody's interested or even us so we know what they are yeah so um so one of the things i have in there is a free industry report which um and for the the data set that i have right now it covers texas which is 50 percent of u.s land so it's a pretty good um snapshot of what's taking place so you can get in there and see what percentage of footage has been drilled by the majors right or the big four Schlumberger, mm-hmm. halliburton baker hughes um uh miss one of the Schlumberger. Uh, whatever, you know, the big four um, versus <laughs> what's been done by private equity, what's been done by the independents, um, what's been done by pu- other publicly traded companies, mm-hmm. um, as well as there's a breakdown for each county, how much footage has been done in each county, um, how many new directional survey companies are there, uh, how many operators are operating in the state of Texas. Gotcha. Um, I've also got something in there called duds. It's a new term for the industry, which is directionally undrilled wells. So it's how many wells that have been permitted that would require directional drilling work to be done that are still backlogged at this point, right? That have not Mm -hmm. been done. Uh, I think I last checked that number was like 4,462 wells uh, requiring directional drilling services. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And then the, uh, oh yeah. And then the other one is uh, I have a free... MWD, LWD, or free MWD and directional drilling directory. So it's a company directory of all the companies that are out there doing services that are active. Um, One part of my reports knows who's actually doing work, who's done stuff in the past 12 months. Uh, The other part of it is, you know, my knowledge and network in the industry of guys either starting up new companies or people who are doing, you know, work outside of the U.S. or outside of uh, Texas. So... Uh, yeah, that actually sure. got started because I got fired from one job. And when I got fired, I was like, I don't know of any other companies that <laughs> do this. I was like, I know there are some out there, but I was yeah. like, I don't know who they are. Well, so, this is definitely a great resource. I, you know, if somebody's looking to get into MWD, you know, work with, with work with a company, this is going to help them know who's busy and who's not and, and you know, how to contact those companies. So a uh, great, great resource that you're putting out. Now let's, let's, switch gears and finally get into MWD. So I'm just going to ask you for a brief explanation of, of what MWD is and how it differs from uh, DD and LWD. And of course, you can explain those acronyms as well whenever you go through it. <laughs> so 
Uh, first of all, MWD stands for measurements while drilling or measurement while drilling. DD is directional drilling and LWD is logging while drilling, right? Uh, so those three basic things, you can kind of clump MWD and LWD together and then right alongside of that is directional drilling, right? So I should say this, to, to do any directional drilling, you need MWD, right? But you don't need MWD to do directional drilling. So th there, there is a little bit of that relationship there. Gotcha. Um, mm -hmm. So as far as the industry, and I would say most of the people that are listening to this would understand what a horizontal well is, or a a um, a well bore that has some kind of breakaway from vertical, right? So anytime that that happens, um, even if you're drilling a vertical well, really, you need to be able to have a some kind of instrumentation that goes down hole, whether it's before or after, that takes a survey of the well bore. And a survey is essentially um, you are tracking in three dimensional space where that well bore is at below the Earth's surface, right? And to be able to do that, you know, obviously we can't use GPS because satellites and GPS stuff don't, don't go through the Earth. Right, you mm -hmm. have to have a uh, specific set of instruments that go downhole that are able to measure inclination and azimuth, right? Mm -hmm. Inclination, uh, what the inclination is from vertical, azimuth being your north south, right? Where like a compass, compass where it would point. Those two measurements and be able to send that either record it or send that information to surface to be able to tell you where the well bore is at. So. MWD is the act of being able to take that survey measurement while you're drilling the wellbore instead of coming in after the fact or stopping the drilling process to be able to survey the wellbore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And LWD, LWD is logging while drilling. So while you're doing that drilling process, you're actually taking measurements of the lithology uh, of the different formations that you're going through, whether it's a resistivity measurement, a gamma measurement, neutron density measurement, sonic measurement, or an acoustic measurement, any one of those while you're in the drilling process. So say that that's kind of what the difference is in each one of those, and then more specifically with directional drilling, directional drilling is planning and using downhole mud motors or, or some other uh, tool down hole to actually deviate the well bore path intentionally uh, from the vertical to a uh, proposed target location. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And definitely, like, like just, just because we don't, you know, we don't know exactly who all will be listening to this and where their starting point is, basically with with drilling in our industry. But you know, basically, you know, if, if you were to actually, you know, drill the well first, first off, even if it's just a, a vertical well, as you drill. And the lithology changes. You hit different formations in your bit wares and whatnot. You're going to drift a little bit, right? So we have to be able to know first off where we're at, and of course we have a plan for it. And especially uh, now with the horizontal shell plays, and even even offshore, you know, directional work and stuff, just directionally steering into a particular reservoir. Uh, you know, we've got to we've got a plan in, in, in place. And with these horizontal wells, with I mean, you're putting 
I, ideally, you know, you're putting laterals anywhere from a couple hundred feet apart to a thousand-ish feet apart, typically on a, a development field here in the shale place. And you know, if if you're drilling blindly, you, you, you it's going to be hard, you know, to know exactly where you're at. And then also, a lot of times, the the sweet spot that we're going for in the in the shale reservoirs and one, it's only a couple couple feet t- thick or yeah. a couple dozen yeah. feet, you know, ten plus feet thick, mm-hmm. uh, if that. So you've got a per- very particular window that we're trying to hit and and if you don't hit it you know your well is not going to produce as good so the value of being able to take measurements while while we're drilling and and actually and capture some of that more specific um formation data like he was talking about with lwd right the the ability to be able to take you know the the lithology measurements and and to know when we're actually steering high or steering low out of that formation Um, that's going to help us when we come back later on to hydraulically fracture the well or whatever be the case um post drilling so that's kind of a little bit of uh, situational awareness in a sense of, of why it's important and why we use it is there anything else you'd want to add to that david <laughs> no i think that was actually a great explanation i was thinking i was like man i should have said that stuff. Oh, no, you're, but, yeah you're good. Um, you know as far as you know to to get into the purpose of it it is to be able to put the well bore where it needs to be right mm-hmm. and you know, there's two within MWD and LWD, there's two different ways to be able to do that. One is the measurement by drilling way and be able to say that this well board needs to be, you know, horizontal. It needs to be, or it should be like 10,000 feet deep. It needs to be a 90 degree horizontal well bore um, and stay, you know, plus or minus 10 feet of that 10,000 foot mark, right? Um, <clears throat> that would be kind of the measurement way to be able to go about it. Um, and then there's also the, the lithology way about it, which is like, okay, when we see a certain level of gamma ray come in, right, and that shows that we are in the shale formation or a specific gamma ray signature, say, okay, we are now in this spot that we predicted and we landed in the right spot, then we need to be able to kind of maintain that. And as things change, as we continue to drill this uh, lateral, uh, we'll we'll need to go up or down and be able to, you know, notate that that movement up and down. So, as far as MWD is concerned, MWD slash LWD. So if I say MWD, I'm kind of sometimes kind of clumping those together. Um, it, it's it's one of those things that this is what truly helps the industry uh, make the returns that we need to be able to make. Because if we didn't have the ability to be able to um, measure where these well bores are at, um, whether it be via lithology or by numerical, you know, formulas and be able to say this is where it's at, then, um, you know, <laughs> the oil and gas business might not be what it is today. So it's oh, definitely sure. one of those, uh, <laughs> the, the purpose of it is very, very important being able to make sure that you place the well bore in the right spot. I mean, if we, if we just, if we drill, if we end up drilling in the wrong spot, then you don't make any money, and then you know this thing's kind of done and over with. Yeah, right? for sure, and it's definitely so, incredible the amount of precision that these tools are able to to have. And you know, you're drilling, you know, nowadays we we've got laterals that are you know fifteen thousand feet plus, you know, and you know, <laughs> and just an immense length, and that's on top of of course the vertical section. So you know, that's 
it's amazing being able to, to communicate with tools that are, you know, down you know, and very pressurized you know, and pressurized reservoirs and under heavy mud and stuff that we're drilling with. And then also, you know, even just the temperature gradients and stuff that, that, that we can actually communicate with these tools and know with a lot of, a lot of precision. And I think you even discussed a little bit of precision too, but maybe you can hit on uh, just briefly again, you know, how, how precise these instrumentations and, and, and everything is. Well, it, there's different levels of precision. And one of the things I should say is that um, having been a part of a group called ISCWSA, which is Industry Standards Committee for Wellbore Survey Accuracy. It's a subcommittee of SPE for wellbore positioning, right? Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of brilliant, brilliant minds that are in that group. And I am definitely not one of them. Um, <laughs> I just kind of like to tag along. Um, it's not so much understanding, like getting the precision and the accuracy of it. It's more about reporting, um, precisely what you did and how you did it, um, accurately. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, these tools, these, these tools are very accurate. They're able to take, you know, very good measurements. Um, but one of the things that we talk about within that wellboard positioning group is the ellipse of uncertainty, mm-hmm. right? Because we cannot see where this wellboard definitively ended up at and do like, you know, we take out a tape measure and go, oh, it ended up being exactly <laughs> this deep or it ended up being exactly this angle. The further you drill, the more uncertainty there is. Uh, in these measurements and so what we actually end up with is this thing called the ellipse of uncertainty mm-hmm. so we may say that the wellbore is 10,000 feet but then you at the, wherever that that wellbore ended at you can put pretty much an egg-shaped uh, uh, ellipsoid on it and say mm-hmm. okay it's somewhere in here right yeah. and so it's not about so much that there's increased precision on the tool it's that you reported back and you said this is how we measured it. This is how we got here. This is what it is. So that the end of the day, whoever's using that information can understand that, okay, it's not a precise location. It's within this uncertainty, right? So, so that's like a technical deep dive right there that we could go into for days, but so I'll try to stay high level, but yes, these tools are, are very accurate. With our current like technology that we have for MWD tools, is there like a lateral length that when we exceed the like accuracy of our of the location of the tools, like dramatically goes down? Is there kind of like a set point or lateral length that you see now in our industry that the precision really um, tends to go down after that? No, these these tools are going to maintain their level of precision no matter how far into the wellbore they get. Right mm-hmm. now, the uncertainty of that measure, measurement, just because it's a formula-based thing, like it's going to get, you know, that uncertainty is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. Now, there's ways to be able to shrink that down, whether it be uh, through multi-station analysis, is where you're looking at this survey versus prior surveys and doing some some different downhole checks, and you can go mathematically, we can reduce down that uncertainty, or uh, using a more precise uh, instrument uh, like a gyro or something they can come in with the gyro and then be able to tie into that gyro measurement uh, going forward so that we reduce down the uncertainty there as well um, but as far as like lateral links and stuff like that the tool itself its accuracy is not going to change 
It's it's just that the uncertainty in the measurement and you know round off errors things like that are mm-hmm. going to grow as as you get further and further and further away. Right. Yeah, and the one thing I want to hit on too because we never like again never know who's quite listening to this. Even when you say you know there's some uncertainty built into this, you know there's we're not talking thousands of feet or anything. It's not going to come up in your backyard or anything. <laughs> you know we're talking what probably no, no, tens no. of feet if that of uncertainty and of course the scale on this i mean you're seven thousand feet down typically somewhere yeah. around there on the on the shale reservoirs yeah and there's a lot of different ways that you know when these when they know that the well bore is going to be at an extended length and that <clears throat> they need to be able to increase the certainty of where it's at there's a lot of different uh methods uh you know high definition geomagnetic models yeah, right for just sure and like you yeah. talked about, you know, that stuff that people can run into the, the well and stuff after it's drilled. But the, the real value in the MWD and the LWD and, and you know, is, is all that it's real time that we can make decisions on, you know, the steering of this well, uh, you know, at, at real time. And one thing, you know, we just want to get some, you know, basic operational information. So, I mean, we've, we've made a lot of references, you know, to, to, to it being downhole and everything. But, you know, let's, let's be a little bit more specific in terms of, you know, where it's actually run on the drill string and everything like that, and then how it communicates. So we talked about, it's amazing how it can communicate so far out and, and be uh, pretty precise, you know, but how it actually communicates. I know there's a couple different methods for that. And I want you to kind of explain that. And then also, you know, when you, when you run the tool and then also, you know, when it actually collects data or sends data, I know there's uh, thing you, you stop and you know send up like a survey when you make a connection and then there's also like live uh, real-time data you know just stuff like that just give a little bit of a operational uh, like you're going to run the tool like things you need to know and how it works yeah so if you were to look at uh, what's called the BHA which is a bottom hole assemblies which used to uh, purposely deviate a well or to be able to drill the well if you're drilling a vertical but for the most part let's say that you know we're we're meaning to deviate the well so majority of the time obviously not majority of the time every time you're going to have a bit then behind that bit you're going to have either a rotary steerable system or a positive displacement uh, mud motor, right? Um, I won't try to get too much into what the difference is between those because that's, I mean, I understand them, but but that's not what the point of the podcast is. And then usually after that, then you've got <clears throat> a little bit of spacing and then your MWD tool, right? Um, and the MWD tool falls usually into two different kind of categories. You've got collar-based tools, right, where the tool is hard mounted inside of the drill collar, um, where, you know, it's all built in, is, it's kind of like one system. Um, and then on the other side of it, there's kind of the probe-based tools where any tool can fit inside of um, pretty much any drill collar, non-mag drill collar that has um, a, a large enough uh, ID. So the tool's either built specifically for that collar, collar-based, or it's built uh, probe-based style to where it just fits inside of something that has the right dimensions, and it could be, you know, you know, any any shop or yard that sells or rents uh, these non-mag collars, you can just drop in, right? So those those are your mm. two um, areas as far as the MWD tools concerned. Then you go from there. Then you think about like what you guys were saying. It's like, how does this send information to the service? How does it communicate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there's the main and the most popular way is through mud pulse telemetry, 
right? And there's two different methods with it within that. There's negative pulse and positive. Positive pulse being the more common, uh, commonly used. Negative pulse, uh, I would say that those those are still around, but they're just not as popular. They're probably in more lower tier cost competitive markets where the, cause those tools are a little bit older and stuff. Um, so you have those two, two methods um, there with it in positive pulse. Um, so after mud pulse telemetry, uh, you've got EM, which is electromagnetic, where you're actually turning the, uh, the, the drill string and the uh, BHA into an antenna and you're sending a, like I said, an electromagnetic signal uh, from down the hole all the way to the surface. Right. Um, and then finally you have, uh, actually, I, I guess you could say there's four. Then you've got the third one being acoustic. Um, there are companies out there who have acoustic telemetry methods. Um, where you're able to send um, an acoustic signal through the drill pipe or through the mud uh, column. And then finally, uh, there's wired drill pipe. There's actually several different companies uh, that do wired drill pipe, um, oh, wow. where there's a, <clears throat> a wire that's connected all the way through the drill pipe, all the way through the collars, all the way through stabilizers, everything else, and they're collecting massive and massive amounts of data and sending it back to service. So, so is the value of doing the, the wired actually like just greater accuracy and more data, like quicker transfer or, or what would be the, cause I know there's going to be a huge cost, right? To doing that method. I actually, I don't think there's the, the as far the value proposition, this technology has been around for quite some time and I don't think that the value proposition really pays off. Gotcha. It doesn't, uh, if it did, it would have caught on a lot stronger, a lot faster. But there's just, I mean, you, you think about having that many connections. Uh, mm -hmm. It just, there's too many spots for error and reliability and things of that nature. So, gotcha. Um, just financially, it doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The you know the, the what, coolest thing like you talked about with the mud pulse. And I, I think when when I try to tell someone that's just, that just you know a random thing that's really cool about our industry, you know, or someone gets me on this topic, I love to tell them about the mud pulse. I think it's just incredible. And basically, you're sending this data from downhole, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of feet out up to the surface by literally like Morse code. So there's what, like a little pulser down there that controls the flow or like restricts, you know, and then that actually creates a pressure pulse that travels clear up to surface. And there's an, like a, a pressure transducer at surface that reads that. And then the computer systems basically turn that into data, right? Did I explain yeah. that good? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, y'all don't need me on the podcast. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, out already. No, so, so, so with with mud pulse telemetry, uh, what you're doing with the positive pulse side of it and the negative pulse is just kind of the opposite uh, uh, direction of it. Um, think of it as, and this is the way that I always teach it, since I've taught a lot of guys um, MWD stuff here in the past. Um, take a water hose, right? Real long water hose. And, and, you know, don't turn it on full blast, turn it on about halfway, right? And then put your thumb over the end of the water hose. And then what you're going to see is the pressure build up inside of that water hose. And if it's not already straight, what you'll see is it starts to, you know, expand or move around, right? And that's because there is a, a pressure wave that's building up that's going all the way back to the faucet head. So mm -hmm. if you take your thumb off of it, 
right? Then you'll see the, the hose relax and then you put your thumb mm -hmm. back on it and you'll see it tense back up and then relax and tense back up. That's essentially what is taking place down hole. So inside mm -hmm. of the drill pipe, there is uh, what's called a pulser and there's several different ways to do this, right? Uh, there, uh, there's shear pulsers, there's um, uh, poppet orifice pulsers, um, it's kind of like I'm doing this thing with my hands, which isn't good for radio, and I just can't <laughs> yeah, think well, of the, the movement here. You sent a video um, to me, and we'll be we'll be sure yeah. to post that about the day we, <laughs> that this podcast goes live of that pulser, and you were showing yeah. a pencil through it, right? And it was it was crushing yeah. it, and so it shows shows how it works. So basically, you know, the engineering principle of that is basically you know, a, a pressure is applied evenly in, in a fluid. So you know, if you restrict the flow down hole, you're going to see that up hole, and that that's basically you know, the, the principle of that works and. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I wanted to get you to comment on too before we move on to questions that people submitted to us on, on Instagram and LinkedIn is is just you know you know I'm stopping for a survey you know what what's the point of that you know what's what's transmitted live versus you know when you actually stop and make a connection and then also just just mention what the tool face is I know that's a critical term for people to know and if they're going into MWD. So this is one of those things. I'm glad you brought this up. Is that. With MWD, it doesn't it doesn't always work that way. So U.S. land, okay. the way it would work is is that you've drilled 90 feet, you have to stop and make a connection. Hopefully, everybody understands what making a connection is. So you're you're unhooking the top drive, and you're pulling the top drive back up, and you're grabbing another 90 feet of pipe or three uh, three joints of pipe to be able to connect to the drill string, so you can drill another 90 feet. Right. Mm -hmm. During that process, what happens is is that the flow has been turned off, right? So you can, can dis disconnect because you're not going to keep flowing while you disconnect. Right. You know, <laughs> you're a big boo-boo. Floor hands won't um, like that so, <laughs> if you do. Yeah. So then what, what's built into the MWD tool is a, there's a little vibration sensor, what we call a flow sensor. And this flow sensor is, it's not really sensing flow per se. What it's sensing is vibration downhole. And so it's got a threshold that it runs at. And when it sees that that threshold has dropped down for a certain period of time, it goes, oh, nothing's going on. I'm going to shut <laughs> off. If I stay shut off for a certain amount of time, let's say 20 to 30 seconds, then it goes, oh, it's now time for me to take a survey. We have now drilled a certain distance to where this information is needed. So then what the tool does is it will measure the inclination and the azimuth, right? Mm -hmm. Once it's measured those two, it puts it back into storage. Then after another certain amount of time, if the pumps are turned back on, right? Or once the pumps are turned back on, then it'll say, okay, I see flow or I see vibration. Has this flow stayed steady for seven seconds? Yes. Okay. Now I'm going to start my 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 time delay because you can program the time delay into the tool so then you get flow for another 30 45 seconds 60 seconds right it's been flows on been on for 60 seconds now i'm going to start transmitting data back to surface start shooting the information back to the surface and the first thing it's going to send is that 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 survey that it just took so it took the inclination and the azimuth and it's going to send that information back to surface now you can send it as inclination and azimuth or you can send it as its raw components, A, X, A, Y, A, Z, which is uh, essentially your gravity in X, Y, and Z, 
and then BX, BY, BZ, or HX, HX, HYHZ, which is your magnetics in those three dimensions, right? And then those three components, or those six components, are gonna get sent to surface, and then it's gonna go through a calculation to be able to get your inclination, your azimuth, your gravity measurement, um, your magnetic field strength, and your uh, dip angle measurement. Right, and then those are what's used to be able to, one, give you your survey, but then also be able to qualify your survey and make sure that your survey's within a correct accuracy, right? Gotcha, um, gotcha. It's always been one of my fun things, so gravity <laughs> is measured, it's 1.0. I, I, I used to do this when I would interview guys to work for me, and I said, okay, critically thinking, if your gravity came up as 2.0 and it was correct, what could you tell me about that? Can you guys answer that? <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't ask. <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> Just, I mean, critically think about it. If gravity went from a 1.0 and now it's 2.0 and it's mm -hmm. right, it's not wrong, it is right, what could you say about yourself, your surroundings, anything? That's a little bit of a Well, everything would be twice the weight. There you go. Like okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can grab right now. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, that's the kind of way I like to be able to educate these guys is like, okay, what does this number actually mean? Like, how could it relate mm -hmm. to me, right? If I'm mm -hmm. 200 pounds and I can dunk a basketball, <laughs> but now gravity goes to a 2.0, I'm 400 pounds. There's not a chance I'm dunking a basketball anymore, <laughs> right? It's not happening. I could actually, I can't even dunk a basketball at 200. It's just like the, the idea. Of it. But, yeah. We got you. <laughs> Yeah, so with sure. that, before we jump into the, the questions, I do want to say this. So if you guys are thinking about MWD, MWD is broken down into the MWD tool and then what's at surface. So I want to break down the downhole components, right? You've mm -hmm. got a telemetry unit, right? That is somehow communicating back with surface, right? You've got power, whether you're generating power downhole or you're using some kind of stored energy source uh, that's sitting downhole like a battery right? Mm -hmm. You've got the brains, which are controlling what all takes place, right? Is it, you know, uh, it, you know, is it from, you know, XYZ company or is it something internal at your company, right? There's multiple different suppliers of those. You've got your measurement system, which is actually taking the MWD measurement. So it's like your, your sensor pack. Are you using MEMS-based sensors or flux gate court style uh, measurement systems or and then finally or uh, and then finally you have any kind of uh, logging component a resistivity tool uh, a gamma source uh, a neutron density like an actual radioactive source that you put down mm -hmm. hole um, so those are the five components so like if you if you want to take like kind of the Elon Musk look at things and you go okay we're going to break it down to it's like it's bare essential components those are the five components of an MWD LWD system right gotcha and then at surface you have your sensing component which is uh, essentially your reception of the communication from downhole. How are you receiving it? Now, there are systems out there that do communicate both ways, and so I'd kind of clump those together, right? So your surface communication, your decoding system, which takes the information from downhole 
and then decodes that information because all of it's put into either hexadecimal format or some kind of other QPSK, BPSK. It's, it's, it's coded in some form or fashion and then decoded at surface after the sensors picked it up. And then finally um, is the logging side of it where you actually log the information that comes up from, from downhole. Um, you could technically speak and say that, there, that there's more sensory components, like um, not just sensing the communication side of what comes up, but you could say sensing like, okay, I need to have a DrawWorks uh, encoder. I need to have a top drive um, uh, hook load position. Uh, uh, what else? I know people are going to get on to me about this and not remembering all of them, uh, but like pump strokes, things like that. So there's there's those, I would say are the main components of your surface system. Um, you could argue that there's more or less, but it kind of depends on where you're working at. Um, so so just that, I wanted to be able to make sure I put that out there so that people, when they start to be able to look at an MWD system or start to kind of get into it, that they know that those are the critical components. Of, yeah, for um, sure. Thanks for thanks for letting us, filling us in on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so before we get any questions um, from our followers on LinkedIn and Instagram, so I just want to mention that typically our podcast will be around an hour long, but because MWD is such a requested topic, then we're going to extend it. We're going to keep talking with you, <laughs> and we have plenty more to talk about. So, Oh, let's no, get into... that's it. Sorry, guys. Can't answer <laughs> got to go. Let's get into some questions. Um, Stephen Wilson from LinkedIn would like to know if there's a universal process to ensure accuracy over many different wells and companies. So currently, um, there is a, uh, a, a industry group per se, I guess you could say. So like I mentioned before, there's the ISCWSA group, mm -hmm. Industry Standards Committee for Wellbore Survey Accuracy, Alphabet Soup, right? Part of yeah, SPE, yeah. <laughs> Society of Petroleum Engineering's uh, Wellbore uh, Positioning Group, right? Mm -hmm. um, that group... Um, has been working on what's called the RP78, Recommended Practices 78, through API, American Petroleum Institute, I think. Yeah. Um, and what they're doing is actually writing the standards for downhole um, surveying, uh, as well as like how to capture the data, what to do with it, what does each part mean? How do you historically keep track of it? How do you digitally display it? How do you do all the different things with it? And it's a very, very comprehensive, all-encompassing um, uh, set of standards for the survey industry. Um, and so right now that's kind of coming out. Um, I would say that would be as close as what, what's universally accurate. Uh, there's also different... Um, survey error models that the operator wellbore survey group um, um, promotes within the ISCWSA. Um, there's there's also the there's actually called a, a group, a subgroup, a subcommittee group that's actually meeting this week. They're probably meeting in two days in the Hague, um, uh, called the error model group, um, and that's all part of the ISCWSA as well. So. There mm -hmm. are things there. Um, they're very they're high level industry experts. These are guys that have had that have PhDs and pretty much dedicated their life to wellbore survey accuracy uh, mm -hmm. that are out there. Um, it, other than that, it's pretty much just like industry standards and saying like, look, I've achieved this level of of 
whatever. I'm I'm good enough. Um, mm-hmm. Most people would go off of error model accuracy and say that like this is what you have to be able to achieve to 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 be able to use this error model. And when I say error model, when we talked about ellipse of uncertainty, that's what I'm talking about, is that you meet the criteria for that ellipse of uncertainty. And that's why they really don't care about the accuracy, they just care that you meet that requirement and that you notate that you meet that requirement. And then if you don't, then just let them know. It's okay, just say, we don't meet this requirement and this is what we have so that that way they can better understand, okay, we think the wellbore's here, but it's actually somewhere within this ellipse of uncertainty. It's one of those like rabbit holes of a topic that everybody, and even myself, you can go back and look on the MWD Worldwide LinkedIn group. I used to ask some like, I look back at it and I'm like, wow, that was a bonehead question to be able to ask because it just made me look like an idiot. But the thing <laughs> was, is like, it's a good question to ask because if I'm asking it and this is what I'm professionally dedicated to, then there's a whole ton of other people that have got no clue, right? And so that's actually one of the reasons why I joined the ISCWSA. I'm part of the education subcommittee is to be able to preach the word. It shouldn't really be called education subcommittee. It should be called the, uh, the uh, industry um, awareness committee that there is a group out there that's dedicated to making sure that that this information gets disseminated out there so that people are doing the best practices. Okay. So yeah, that's great. I hopefully, hope that... hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. That was, that was for Steven Wilson. And then our next question comes also from LinkedIn from Nicholas Williams. And he wants to know, other than reliability, what do you believe operators look for most in an MWD provider? Um, so I actually think reliability is second on the list of what operators are looking for. I think the number one thing that operators are looking for in an MWD system, um, and, and before I answer it, I'll say this, it, operators don't care about MWD. I'll just be honest. The operators <laughs> do not care. It's just a pain in their side. I have never once seen an operator say, oh, your tool does faster telemetry. I'll buy it because of that. Or, oh, you can do this, this whiz bang feature. All the bells and whistles, all the things that I love about MWD, there's not an operator out there who gets interested about it. Mm-hmm. The operator's interested in is not having to trip for failures, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, that there's, there's that reliability portion of it. But if you take a step back and you see the bigger picture, every MWD tool will fail. There is not a single MWD tool that's ever been built that will ever be built that does not fail. So mm-hmm. I believe that the, the bigger selling point for MWD to the operators is to say, we react faster to the issue, right? Mm -hmm. If it fails, we will turn around an information, data set, gathering uh, a full report so that you can understand why it took place. So put yourself in the position of a drilling engineer. An MWD failure takes place. He's not an MWD expert, nor does he want to be. He goes back to his client and says, why did the MWD tool fail, right? Because mm-hmm. he's doing his due diligence because you know what his boss is going to do? His boss is going to come down on him and go, why are you having to do these trips? What's taking so long with drilling your wells? Why are you missing your AFE? And he's like, oh, I've been having these MWD failures. What are they? I don't know. Yeah. Well, what yeah. do you mean you don't know? Well, I asked my client and they're, they're, they're doing a report. Well, when are they going to get the report to you? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> You know, so what yeah. you're essentially doing is you're putting your 
your client in a bad spot. You're making him go into meetings where he's going to get his, you know, he or she, sorry, you're going to make <laughs> this person, um, um, you know, kind of like have to kind of cower down in the corner and be like, oh man, like, ugh. and then he's going to call you guys and be like, look, I'm not trying to drive you guys real hard, but I need to know what happened. If that drilling mm-hmm. engineer can count on the fact that if there was a failure, that you're going to respond to it quickly and have some kind of answer and response to it, that by far and above will sell more jobs than saying, I have XYZ reliability number. And I could go off on that because everybody measures reliability different. And so yeah. somebody will say, we've got MTBF of 1,000 and somebody else, I've got MTBF of 500. And the guys at MTF, MTBF of 500 are actually a better tool when their number's lower, but it's because they're harder on themselves than the other guys. The other guys are like, well, I'm not counting that failure and I'm not counting that failure. I'm gonna, I mean, <laughs> and I'm yeah. actually gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pump up the numbers a little bit because the tool yeah. was on, but it was on because it was sitting next to the, the rig just vibrating and it was <laughs> on, right? Like, cause, yeah. just cause it was consuming battery power doesn't mean it was being used, but with mm-hmm. the way that we track it in our system, this was actually on. So like those numbers are completely bogus. So I think it's more important to be able to go to an operator and just say, look, our tool's going to fail. You know, it's going to fail. I know it's going to fail, but it's how do you respond to that failure? It's like the whole analogy, man gets knocked down seven, six times. He gets up seven or woman gets knocked down six times and she gets up seven, whatever the case, like (laughs) that I think is going to be the bigger selling point to operators. So keep that in mind. That's a great point. Yeah. And we have another question um, from, on it from Instagram, actually, um, looks like Shreyanash Shukla is asking, um, what can be the reason of noise, both the pulse and noise, or what can be the reasons if both the pulse and the noise are in the same range? Oh. There, <laughs> you might have to explain that a little bit. I don't even know what she's asking. <laughs> like, the, the, like that's like asking like um, why does it rain on Wednesdays but it doesn't rain on Thursday? Or okay. <laughs> how can it rain? How come it rained hard the other day, but it's not going to rain hard this next day? I mean, it's one of those things that's like, like, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I, it, I mean, there's, you know, like, I would, whoever asked that question, I would try to say it, but uh, Shukla, I'm going to say is the last name. Shukla, mm-hmm. I would love to be able to sit down and talk to you with it, but it's like one of those things that's like, it's a very vague question and like any response that I give you, like I could talk to talk about all this subject for like an hour. So I'll give you one quick example. Um, we had a rig where we were getting really bad noise and we had changed out the surface system. We changed out our sensor. Um, we just put a brand new tool in hole, right? Like we couldn't figure out what it was. And through m- multiple things of like looking through I finally told the guys and I was like, okay, like, um, just unplug the surface system from the sensor, the pressure transducer sensor. And, um, I was like, and then, you know, first unplug it and then go grab another one. Right. I I was just testing something out and I was watching the screen. And while we're watching the screen, after they unplugged it, we were still getting noise on there. Right, and it's like, wait, how can we get noise if we're not hooked up to the sensor, which is what senses the noise and the the, the signal, right? So that kind of clued me in. It was like, oh, 
we're getting electrical noise. And so what we ended up actually having to do was like trace the entire line of that, of that, uh, the, uh, the cable where it was. And what it, we ended up finding was, is that we were next to like the main power cord for the rig that was coming off the generators. And we were next to it for probably about a hundred feet, mm -hmm. or not a hundred feet for about 10 feet because of, one of the rig workers had seen like where we'd put the cable prior and there and they didn't think it was safe or whatnot. So they were just like, Oh, well, we'll stick it next to our line and didn't tell us about it. They just moved it. And so this was why like all of a sudden everything's working fine. Now everything's gone to complete doo doo and we can't figure it out. <laughs> it's cause they had moved this line and it, and electrical noise is one of the hardest things to be able to figure out because you don't have the physical capability. You don't have the senses in your body or your brain or whatever to be able to sense it. And electrical noise is just that. It, it's it's this figment almost of your imagination. So you, you, you just have to be able to look at what are all the different possibilities. And a great reason to be a part of, you know, what we'll talk about here in a minute is the class that we're going to put on and we're going to look at different things like this is like how to be able to take really, really difficult problems and dissect them by their fundamentals to be able to understand um, how things are working or how things are not working in this case. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, so kind of moving on, I just want to, you know, briefly, you know, if there's any type of limitations of, of MWD or a situation in which like you wouldn't use it or any kind of, you know, common issues. I mean, you just hit on some noise, you know, just kind of that, that thinking and that reasoning. And then we'll start talking about uh, the actual like market climate and some job opportunities and, and your advice for someone looking to get into this career. Um, limitations, um, man, that's another one of those things. It's like, it's, it's kind of a case by case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> There's really no precise like limitations. You may have like limitations why a specific portion of, of MWD doesn't work. So like, let's say it's a hot hole job. Uh, maybe you're, you're drilling really, really hot geothermal wells. There's a company out of Iceland that does geothermal, geothermal wells. <laughs> it just seems um, ironic. <laughs> um, one, of, one of my friends works over there. He's a great guy, really, really, really smart MWD guy. Um, and they drill some seriously hot wells. So that might be a limitation on some, some MWD tools because you can only get them so hot before they they stop you know it's not so much that you're going to just melt the tool but it's just like you're not going to get the accuracy yeah. <laughs> that that's required right um that and you might be just burning up electronics at point so financially it's, it's limited in some scopes like that um you might look at em technology electromagnetic technology there's certain formations that they don't work in mm -hmm. right um if you're in you know y'all's area and you're doing a lot of air drilling um, mm -hmm. mud pulse telemetry that requires the, the <laughs> you know, the physics of hydraulics, um, not going to work real well in air yeah. drilling. So that's, that's a spot where EM technology has to be used. Um, there's also stuff like, like aerated mud, um, mm. that, that I've, I've seen before, you know, as far as, you know, lightning, uh, the mud weight, which, you know, if you have a compressible fluid in, in a hydraulics, right? It, yeah. That, 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 that tends to <laughs> not screw up your pulses. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so there's different things as far as like telemetry, you could look at things that are, um, size, uh, you could look at stuff like you, you're in an offshore project and you've got, you know, 24, um, uh, so let's just think you're, you're drilling the, the 23rd 
well out of a 24 well uh, batch. Um, mm -hmm. You can't go right in the hole with a um, a, a magnetic sensing uh, MWD tool. You need to be able to go in the hole with uh, a gyro-based tool so that you're not getting um, uh, interference from the other wellheads. Uh, if you're if you're really interested in stuff like that, I would I would say look up Thumbs Island. It's uh, actually a oxy project just off of Long Island in uh, California. There's some there's some pictures online. You can look at how all of that stuff looks below the surface. There's like a gazillion wells that are all right next to each other. It's it's pretty cool. Gotcha. Uh, so I mean, there's there's tons of different limitations for different parts of it, but there's always a solution for that for 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 whatever that case may be mm -hmm. gotcha okay so now let's kind of transition to the current market climate and some job opportunities um they could expect now and so um kind of where would you start if you were interested in getting into mwd or becoming an mwd field hand where would you start and how would you advance um within within a company and some of the requirements and expectations like we already kind of hit on those too but you know that, that's all factored into this yeah, so so there's two big um, um, ways to be able to get involved with the MWD. You can either go with the majors, right? So the the, the big four, um, the big four. Those are going to be the guys that hire people internationally. So you know, as far as our, our you know who's listening to this, um, if you're you know living in India or Middle East or Europe or, or somewhere outside of the U.S., your best opportunity is going to be with one of the the major companies, not saying that's your only opportunity, but that's probably gonna be your best opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, if you're fortunate enough to be able to have uh, the legal right to work here in the US, um, then one of your best opportunities and your, your quickest path to a job um, is probably gonna be working for one of the independents and you can get the my directory that's uh, on the website there, uh, mm -hmm. getting in touch with them. Now, as far as getting one of those jobs, I would say getting a trainee MWD job is probably one of the most difficult things in the industry to be able to, to get. Um, so I would say getting any job in the business is, is probably, even if it's being a mudlogger, just understanding what that life, uh, work-life balance is <laughs> to be working out, out on the rig. Right, and I know mm -hmm. people shun mud loggers and stuff like that, and it's 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 silly, but those guys understand that work-life balance as well. I mean, you could be doing solids control, you could be doing floors, you could be a driller. As long as you were, you've worked at the rig site and you understand what that life is like, it's going to be easier for you to be able to get that MWD job or that directional drilling job. Right, mm -hmm. bar none, sure. that's going to give you another step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. The things that are not going to hurt you, right? Having a four-year engineering degree, right? That's not going to hurt, right? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be what sells somebody on hiring you? Not always, but it's not going to hurt. Um, mm -hmm. There's also uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Angus Jameson who teaches a survey course out of the University of Highlands and Islands um, in Inverness, Scotland. And he that class um, actually goes over wellbore surveying. Um, it's a master's degree program um, that teaches you like surveying, surveying on marines, surveying below the below water, below, surveying for wellbore, surveying for you know doing land tracks, 
Um, mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a master's degree in that. I mean, if you get if you got that, then there's a good opportunity you could be you know kind of jumping out of the field and working in the office with somebody uh, doing some higher level stuff. Um, mm -hmm. There, there's. I mean, I could you know we could do a whole podcast on just what yeah. to do really get <laughs> sure. a job. I think the big thing is is one understand what the marketplace is right look at who all the different directional companies are pick up the phone and start calling these guys and don't give up mm -hmm. start and, and anybody that's willing to talk to you about the job listen to them don't take every word you hear as you know sacred just keep talking to people and that'll help you get further into understanding more about the industry um, and, and being able to educate yourself. And there's nothing wrong with working in the shop, working on these tools, learning how to be able to rebuild these tools, working for a manufacturer of these tools, working for a parts company, um, being able to understand the lingo, the lingo and, and um, different components of it uh, is gonna help you in, in being able to get out there. Um, you know, then again, it also helps some guys, I'm not gonna shy away from it, it happens a lot, nepotism. Um, if you happen to know somebody and they can pull a string for you, by all means, do it. Um, that doesn't mean <laughs> I'm going to hire. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's every industry. It's every industry. It's not just the oil field. It's every industry. Mm -hmm. But, you know, take advantage of what you've got. If you don't have that, then start making friends. Go to these industry right. events. Um, go shake hands. Introduce yourself. You know, um, it's it's it's. You, you just got to be able to put yourself out there and, and hopefully um, you'll get enough traction from somebody and they'll, they'll listen to you and give you a shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so now next kind of topic is we know that oil and gas industry is prone to boom and bust. Um, how stable is, you know, an MWD job or, you know, how does that reflect with the uh, boom and bust of the industry? I, it, it's going to be right in line with it. It's going to mm -hmm. be right in line with it. Um, you can be one of the best uh, MWD field hands out there um, and, you know, be working for a client that's had uh, long-term success with you out there. And then they go, hey, money's just not right. We're shutting our rig down. And you can go back to your boss and be like, hey, I'm the best guy you got. And it's like, hey, put me on this rig and go fire this guy. And they're going to be like, well, no, that client likes who's already there. They like that team. We can't get rid of them, even though it's the worst guy. Our client has said, keep them there. Um, so at any moment, any guy can be let go. Uh, mm -hmm. um, that's why I, I do tell guys, it's like, if you're sitting at the rig and you're in an MWD hand, you better be training yourself on something else as well. Mm -hmm. gotcha. you, need, gotcha. you need to be a professional and either up in your education level, right? Uh, whether that means just training something on your own or doing night school or doing online classes um, so that you can prepare for it. Uh, the other thing is, is always live off of half of whatever you make. Always live off of half of whatever you make. Gotcha. Yeah, that's especially true for the oil field. <laughs> if, trust me, if you live off of half of what you make, then you know you're in the industry for three years, and then it takes a three-year downturn. Guess what? You're ready. You're ripe and ready to be able to get mm. right back into it. Yeah, for sure. And so, kind of in terms of salary, what would a entry-level field hand expect to make? And how many years or, you know, how, how long until their next kind of bonus or promotion or kind of how does that look in terms of salary? I'll say this. Um, if you're a good field hand, you should be able to make $150,000 a year to $200,000 a year, maybe even more, depending on the company you're working for, right? Oh, um, mm -hmm. You don't need to have 
you know, uh, any certain level of education or background. Um, I, I think that the best field hands are the people that uh, can get along with uh, three other grown adults living in a trailer house that they've never met before. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds it has, fun. <laughs> right? I mean, like, we've all seen, yeah. you know, yep. enough of reality television to go, whoa, gosh, oh, yeah. like, people <laughs> like stupid. But that's the thing is like you get three other adults that you've never met. You didn't go to high school with them. You weren't in the military with them. You you guys didn't date the same girl. Like you know nothing. <laughs> you have no common bond other than the fact that there's an oil company that wants the four of you guys to be there, right? You guys mm -hmm. could be one guy could be a consultant. One guy could work for the directional company. Another guy could be a trainee that's never been out there, and the other MWD hand could work for a separate MWD company. Like you guys could be completely separated not even all in the same company right yeah, yeah but you're all out there doing a job together and you're living in the same area you're you're sharing the same toilets you're sharing the same beds you're sharing <laughs> same you know housekeeping duties those guys that get that portion of the job down are the best out there by far because those are the guys that complain the least that are going to get the you know, get the work done. They're going to be able to overcome all this stuff. I've had guys call me at 6 a.m. on a Saturday to complain about somebody eating cookies. Trust me, that guy didn't get like any over an abundance of, of me trying to do um, something nice for him, right? If you're going to yeah, call me at yeah. 6 a.m. on a Saturday to complain about cookies, I'm, I'm not going to go, <laughs> yeah. the, I'm not going the extra mile for you. So, mm -hmm. it, but as far as making money, you'll make you'll make more money than what you need. And this was told to me when I did my very first interview. The problem won't be money. The problem will be your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. everybody's always says, oh, it's not about the money. And like, oh, you know, money doesn't solve all the problems. This job will teach you that lesson. Mm -hmm. And anybody who says otherwise is lying to themselves. <laughs> you will finally learn what it means. It's like. No, I, I would be willing to take a pay cut for, you know, like a vacation. Yeah. Like I would like this job teaches that and it, it, it will every time and nobody believes it until they get out there and do it. And then they go, yeah, you were right. I'm like, yeah, I know it was, I it was the same person. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And so will like MWD hands, will they typically work two weeks on and then have two weeks off or. Once again, that's dependent upon, you know, who you're something. working for and where you're working. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of the time, uh, I never got a rotation uh, throughout my career. Um, I had very few guys that have even worked for me that got a rotation. Um, but for the most part, what what you're going to see is you're working the project, right? Quote, unquote, mm -hmm. the project. If, if you're on a three-well pad um, and they're just skidding the rig and drilling it, then that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. If it's one of those things where they're, hey, this is the rig, there's work to go do, and it's just a vertical, you're going to be out there for 10 days, and then they're going to, you know, do coring for 20 days, and then they're going to pick us back up for five days, and then they're going to skid over and do another coring project. Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's very inflexible, and that's why I said, like, you'll come to appreciate the money, but at the same time, you'll appreciate even more a consistent schedule. And that's why you'll make the most money in the field. You'll take a step down in the office, but once you're in the office, you can work your way up and be able to end up making more money. But that initial job in the office after being in the field is always going to be a pay cut. 
And that pay cut allows you to go home every night and spend time with your girlfriend, your friends, your family, your dog, or start, you know, taking <laughs> basket weaving classes every Tuesday night at seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And so um, kind of wrapping this up, what are your, what's your opinion on what's next for MWD in our industry? Um, I think MWD and directional drilling, the business model as a whole is starting to change. We're going to go from, uh, charging based on, on day rate to, we're going to start changing, charging based on footage drilled. Uh, you're going to start seeing less and less people in the field. And it's not because hmm. of people wanting to move to remote ops and stuff. It's because, um, we are busier than we've ever been in the industry and we're making less money than we've ever made. Um, mm. AFEs on the drilling side are shrinking as far as the amount of money that they're putting into it, but the operators are making more money than they've ever made. And they're not going to go in reverse. They're not going to go, oh, well, the directional companies want to make more money. <laughs> yeah, All right, yeah. we're yeah. going we're gonna, we're gonna to <laughs> yeah. increase the AFEs. It's not going to happen. So what yeah. has to happen is the directional drilling companies have to change their business model. They have to cut costs. And to be able to cut costs, you have to reduce your number one cost component, which is personnel. You mm. can't really reduce the cost of MWD components much more. There's not that much in the way of electronics that can reduce the size of these things. There's still mm. a lot of cost in just material. And material costs are material costs. You can't, that's a commodity. You can't change that, right? So yeah, yeah. really, in essence, the industry, you could be differentiated, maybe charge a little bit more, but we're never going to get back to 2014 numbers, at least, at least not anytime soon. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I see directional drilling companies having to change their business model as well as operators starting to bring in-house uh, a lot more of the uh, directional drillers and MWD guys, uh, potentially just as consultants, not hiring them or buying any equipment, uh, but bringing that expertise in-house so that they can sit alongside um, geosters. Well, David, it's definitely been a pleasure talking with you here today. We've covered a lot of material, and we know that there's still a lot left on the table, even even on my own you know, table. <laughs> I've got a lot of questions still that I know that you know, our listeners and, and, and will have questions as well. So we want to provide an ongoing resource for them, and you're so passionate about this particular topic that we've already discussed ways that we can work together and potentially do uh, maybe future live webinars where people can come and ask questions and stuff. So if there's a demand for that, you know, people listening to this, you know, make, your, make that known. Uh, we can definitely pursue that, but we're definitely pursuing a an online course with David. And, and David, you want to kind of go over some of the particular topics or your focus on that kind of course? Yeah, so um, I, I know we've covered a lot of it so far already, but uh, breaking down the MWD tool um, into kind of its fundamental states so that you can better understand what an MWD tool is, what it does, uh, what are its purposes in different situations, uh, like we talked about, um, uh, wh where it can be used, what, what are the limitations, mm -hmm. um, as well as you know looking at the future on, and, and also looking at um, the directional drilling business as a whole. Why does it exist? Um, why is it important to operators? Um, mm -hmm. Try to be able to look at, at this as a whole so that you can, when you're out there and you get told something and somebody makes a certain decision, you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. You can kind of fall back on on some of the high level reasoning and go okay yeah now sure. i understand why they're making those decisions or when you're in the field and you're having an issue it's easier for you to be able to break it down to its fundamental physics level components and say okay 
this is what's taking place what could it be what could it not be right and so you only get a limited amount of time to be able to troubleshoot um, don't be wasting a whole bunch of time you know doing things that are going to be fruitless do the most effective things first gotcha yeah for sure well thanks again so much for your time and we just got a few notes here uh, that we're going to go over and then we'll we're definitely we'll reconnect with you here after, after the end of the episode but you know thanks again so much for your time and look forward to future collaborations with you all right, guys, yeah. thank you so much. I'm a big believer in Oilfield Basics. I think this will help out a lot of people. And, you know, thank everybody for listening. And um, I look forward to being able to run it back and do it with you guys again. For sure, man. Yeah, looking forward to it. And, and for those of you still listening, thank you so much for tuning into this, this entire episode. This has definitely been a lot of information and a lot to take in. But again, you know, look forward to the resources that we're going to be putting out and further collaborations with David and, and making that, you know, information even easier to digest on an online course and with images and he's really good at making videos so you know we'll have some of those in there as well and of course you know um we're, we have this thing call in number so if you want to call in and leave any type of suggestions for future topics or ask any particular questions whether it's related to mwd or something that you would like uh, us to address on this on the show or, or give us any feedback uh, we're going to have other things that we can call in on and, and that you guys can call in and leave messages on and that will replay on the show um, a little bit later on once the show gets going more but you know for this particular time if you want to call and leave those topic suggestions or feedback you know please do so that number is 740-538-0379 and we'll see how this goes <laughs> so 740-538-0379 and of course if, if you like this episode please be sure to subscribe and if you want to help support us, help support the show, leave a review. Uh, I hear that that helps the rankings. So <laughs> please do anything you can to leave us the review and, and share the episodes. And also, please, please tell a friend about Oilfield Basics or multiple friends. Please tell multiple <laughs> friends about Oilfield Basics. <laughs> Let them know about us and follow us on social media. We've got LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube. I think that's it. I think yeah. those are the four that we, that we stick to. Um, and of course, check out www.oilfieldbasics.com. That's where everything is going to be at. That is the hub of oil food education. So <laughs> keep that in mind going forward too. And of course, you know, subscribe to our mailing list. We'll be sending out you know, updates and posts and basically keeping you updated on what's going on and future collaboration opportunities. And of course, if you want to get involved and you, you are knowledgeable on a particular topic, it, you know, let us talk about ways that we can actually have you on the podcast like we just did with David, you know, or actually, you know, have a webinar. If you've got presentations just sitting on your C drive on your computer, you know, <laughs> get in touch with us and, and we'll figure out a way that we can help educate others. And again, thanks so much for, for tuning in. Uh, our next episode, episode two, will actually be on canine pipeline inspection. So that's going to be really cool. Looking forward to that. And that will launch here um, in the next couple of days. So yeah. keep that in mind. Anything else you want to add, Sebastian, before we close? No, looking forward. Looking forward to it. Had a great first podcast and can't wait for the ones to come. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, guys, so much. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.